If you brought your Bibles, you may open them to the book of Matthew, chapter 8. This morning, we will hear the word of the Lord together as we read Matthew 8, 28 through 34. So find it, find it. The Apostle Matthew writes these words about Jesus in verse 28 and following. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go! So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together as we dive in. The Jesus of Matthew chapter 8 is an unstoppable force. Unstoppable. If you've been tracking along with us as we walked away from the Sermon on the Mount, you've seen it, you've heard it, you've witnessed it as you've read these texts. Jesus gives an amazing, brilliant sermon in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and then walks down off of that mountain into the city of Capernaum and starts turning the place right side up again. He meets a person who's been suffering with leprosy, and he touches the man, and he's cleansed. He finds a centurion who comes to him and, and complains that a servant at home is paralyzed and suffering, and with a word, Jesus sends healing to that man's house and restores his servant. Jesus walks into the home of the mother-in-law of the Apostle Peter and finds her sick in bed. He gets her back on her feet, heals her of her illness, and she immediately starts serving the Lord. Jesus is acting as an unstoppable force to turn the world right side up again. And the word about him starts spreading pretty quickly. By the evening time, after Peter's mother-in-law is healed, folks start bringing all their sick, bringing their friends and their relatives to Peter's mother-in-law's home, and Jesus is casting out demons and healing every disease in the city, Matthew says. The word keeps spreading, and his power keeps going out, and that city keeps getting better and better and better. And then Jesus says to his disciples, let's go somewhere else. Not that Jesus wanted to forsake this city, but Jesus says, my mission is to go to every city and do the same thing as I'm doing here. My mission is to go to the other cities and proclaim the gospel and do these same things, to set up a presence in each town and turn it right side up again. I don't want to just be in Capernaum. I want to go to Tiberias and Nazareth and the Gadarenes. I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to go to the outer cities. I want to go to every city and do what we're doing here. We're not just setting up a kingdom where people come to us. We're going to infiltrate every community 
and bring life and healing and hope to every group of people. It would be cool if Jesus did that here, wouldn't it? Picture him walking up the boulevard and starting to preach the gospel and gathering a little crowd and he starts healing people. He goes into Eden and cleans the place out. All the folks walk out and go back to their families. Walks into a surgery, puts down the scalpel, pulls the person off the thing and sends them out of the room. People who come who are oppressed and are suffering and, and discouraged and they're demonized. He casts out the demons and releases them from their bondage. It would be amazing to see Jesus come into our place as an unstoppable force to turn the world back to where it needs to be again. I wonder how the disciples felt when Jesus said, let's go to the other cities and then pointed across the lake to the land of the Gadarenes. You know, that wasn't Jesus saying, hey, let's go out to Walnut Creek, right? Let's go to Daniel. That's saying him. Let's, that's Jesus saying, hey, let's go hang out in the Tenderloin for a while. I want to go to all the cities, including the dark places of this world. And the Gadarenes were kind of a scary place. The other side of the lake, not the good side of the lake, where Nazareth and Tiberias and where Capernaum kind of end up. The other side of the lake where the scary people live. The other side of the lake where people were unclean, where people were far from God. A city that was way more Roman than Jerusalem, right? We've got Jerusalem, the holy city. We have Rome, the pagan city. And then we've got like Nazareth, Capernaum, Gadarenes over here. And Jesus says, let's go over there and bring restoration, healing, gospel, transformation to those folks. If I was a disciple, I would run like Jonah. Right? Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'll get on a boat, sure, but I'm going the other direction. Those people scare me. Those people are scary. And if those people gave their lives to Christ, I would be kind of angry. I don't like those people. That's what I feel like I would do if I was a disciple. And yes, it seems like the disciples don't have a choice. He just drags them along, right? And they're, maybe they were good guys too. They jumped into the boat. And, and Jesus looks nothing like Jonah, right? He beelines it towards the dark places. He doesn't run from it. He gets in a boat, he falls asleep like Jonah, but he doesn't fall asleep because he's depressed and discouraged. He falls asleep because he's been tired of changing the world, not of changing the world, from changing the world. The storm comes like in the story of Jonah. The sailors come down to Jesus like in the story of Jonah and say, don't you care that we're drowning? But unlike the story of Jonah, it wasn't Jesus' fault that the storm had come. And unlike the story of Jonah, Jesus didn't say, I'm a sinner, throw me in the lake and the storm will stop. Instead, Jesus stands up, rebukes the wind, commands the waves, and swoop. It's calm. And Jesus of Matthew 8 is an unstoppable force. The disciples say, what kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves hear his voice and obey him. If he can command sickness to leave, if he can command demons to leave, if he can command the elements to change, what can stop the Son of God? 
as they get out of the boat at the land of the Gadarenes, they are met with two very, very, very scary men. We read this account in Matthew's gospel here that we just read, and in Mark's and Luke's as well. We hear about this man who has been plagued by demons. And Matthew says there were actually two men that were there, and, and yet one was more vocal than the other. If you want to know what it would look like for Satan to have full reign over a human being, you need to study this man, this Gerizim demoniac, some people call him. Something had happened in his life where he just got infiltrated with demons. When Jesus asks the name of the demon, the demon calls out, the demons, we are legion, call us legion, we are many. A legion of Roman troops was 6,000 soldiers. This man was inundated with demons, just clinging to him like a swarm of bees that went inside his life and destroyed it from the inside out. The Satan's reign in this man's life had caused him to go insane by our standards. He cried out day and night, we read in the other accounts. He had no clothes on. He tore him to shreds. He was so violent and scary that every night the townspeople would come and they would chain him into the crypt. But he would break the, the chains with this violent, demonic strength and he'd come back out again and roar at whoever came by. Now, Satan's grip on this man led him to be alienated from his whole community, ravaged by sin and sickness and disease and mental illness, unclean, living in the tombs next to a herd of pigs. Like that's the most unclean scene imaginable in a Jewish mindset. And he literally lived in chains and he broke them every day just to be bound up again. This is the Goliath that comes out to meet Jesus. And yet unlike the story of David and Goliath, this man doesn't say to Jesus, what are you, a dog that you come at me with sticks? Instead, these demons look at Jesus and they know exactly who he is. They say, what, what do you and I have together, son of God? What, what are to you and to me, he says in the English translation here, what do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? These demons knew that a time was coming when Jesus himself would come into the world, drag all the demons out of all the people and all the places, gather them together and hurl them into the lake of fire where they would be bound Yet these demons look at Jesus and say, it's not time for you to bind us yet. You've given us the ability to torment human beings. Why are you coming for us? And Jesus just stares at them. And when they realize that Jesus is going to do something to them, these demons say, they urge him, the Greek says. If you drive us out, send us into those pigs. Don't cast us into the lake of fire. Don't remove us from the world completely. If you send us out, we urge you, we plead you, we beg of you, send us over there into those pigs. And so the only red word in this paragraph, these three paragraphs here, is Jesus saying, go. 
And the demons just flood out of this man and they infiltrate this herd of pigs. The pigs get demon-possessed, however pigs do, and they start squealing and scrambling and running towards the lake on this sharp bank in the land of the Gadarenes and they slide into the Sea of Galilee and they drown there. And the demoniac just looks at Jesus and probably says, thanks. <laughs> and the shepherd guys who are watching the herd of, the pan- herd of pigs beat it into the city. Like, ah, run away. <laughs> Nothing can stop Jesus. Sickness can't stop Jesus. Demons, a, a thousand demons, 6,000 demons. They can't stop Jesus. Nothing can stop him. In verse 34, something finally does stop Jesus. The town comes out to him. And they look around. (laughs) And they see the pigs floating in the bay. The sea. And they see this formerly tormented man and his his friend sitting there in their right mind. And Matthew tells us that when the town came out to meet Jesus, they pleaded with him to leave their region. The Greek word that Matthew uses here for pleaded is the same ones that the demon uses on Jesus earlier. Just like the, de- the demon said, please, Jesus, send us into the pig, the townspeople say, please, Jesus, get out of our city. Jesus starts this story by casting demons out of a man, and the story ends with the town casting Jesus out of their city. We don't want you here, Jesus. I don't know what you're doing, but we don't want you to come into our town. Stay away from us. Whatever this power you have, we want nothing to do with it. I love how Matthew says, those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And I read that, and I think, what else would they tell the town about? Of course that's what they told them. That's not the primary thing they told the town. If you were a shepherd over a group of pigs, and they all died, some guy killed them? You'd probably go into the town and say, you guys need to come out here. This man just showed up. This Jewish man stepped into my town. He killed all my pigs. And he also healed a guy who was in the tombs and all that. (laughs) So the town comes out like Beauty and the Beast with pitchforks. They see Jesus. They see the pigs. And they say, you need to leave. I think the reason that Matthew included that phrase, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men, is that anyone who heard this story like us, when we hear that a town casts Jesus out, our logical question would be, why did they not tell the townspeople about the miracle that happened with these demon-possessed men? Matthew makes it explicitly clear. Yeah, they knew the miracle They just didn't want it because of how it affected their commerce. This town sends Jesus away because even though he wanted to come in and change it for good, they didn't like how it would affect their pocketbooks. It's a scary thought. 
mean, we think of Jesus coming into our town and saying, Jesus, please, just come back to earth for a second. Come into Castro Valley and change it. We need you. There are so many problems. I don't like how kids can't afford lunches. That's terrible. Fix it, Jesus. Please come back. But if Jesus came back and he came into our town like this, would, would we accept him? If Jesus started healing people and the hospitals emptied, I feel like that the culture would be like, wow, this guy's cool. If people's mental illness was cleansed and the counseling offices were ghost towns, I kind of hope that they would applaud that, you know. Pharmaceutical companies probably wouldn't be applauding that. (laughs) We would hope that we would. If the church started selling their possessions and giving money to folks in need and helping them buy homes and all the neighborhoods became people of a lot of money and a little money and formerly homeless people and formerly ill people all living together in one community, I hope that everyone would applaud that. I don't know if they would. You can. Yeah, that's good. I can say can. I think we all wish that Jesus would come back, but I'm scared that if he did, we would, we'd scare him away. How would you respond if Jesus came into your life and told you, hey, I want to I heal you. I want to help you. We need to talk about the fact you're drinking too much. Like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, cool. Hey, we need to talk about the, fa- the way that you treat your wife. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That, that's good. A good word, Jesus. <laughs> hey, I told you to go across the street and evangelize these people. You're never doing it. Let's talk about it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Right? You'd be like, oh, who is this guy? Is this really Jesus? Jesus doesn't make me happy anymore. (laughs) Sometimes I'm scared that we need and we want enough Jesus to get us into heaven, but we don't want enough Jesus to really transform us. We want to maintain and retain enough darkness to kind of have some space to do what we want to do. And Jesus goes into this city and he starts turning it right side up again. They don't notice the fact that these two men's lives have been irrevocably changed. They start seeing dollar signs on all these pigs that are upside down in the water. I hope he wouldn't be like that. I think that's always how it is. That's what happened to Jesus, right? It's not just the pagans, the religious people that turn on him. He develops this crowd and people are following him and they're praising him. And on Palm Sunday, they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he ascends the steps of the temple and he flips over the tables. And people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is our religious establishment here. He says, worship me. Like, what? Stop all this. What? Your religious leaders are wrong. What? They kill him. After Jesus raises from the dead and his disciples recognize who he is, they start to preach his gospel with power. 
And they, they tell everyone, and the first few gospel presentations are pretty uh, straightforward. They say, you killed the author of life. He came into your city, and you should have worshipped him. You should have followed him. You should have did everything that he said, but instead you murdered him. God raised him from the dead, and now he's holding you accountable, and he wants you to repent. The people were cut to the heart. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? Repent and be baptized. And people gathered into this group of the disciples, and the gospel started to go out. And like Jesus had started in his ministry around Jerusalem and the Galilee, the gospel goes out into cities, into the Roman world, in the heart of darkness. The book of Acts shows the gospel beelining it towards Rome. And, and as they go there, the same thing happened to the early church and the power of the Holy Spirit as happened to Jesus in the land of the Gadarenes, with Jews and with Gentiles. The apostles go into a city like Thessalonica and start changing the place. And the Jewish authorities get scared and they say, who are these men turning the world upside down? And they incite a riot and chase Paul and his companions out of the city. They go over to Ephesus. They set up a gospel presence in Ephesus. People's lives start transforming. The community starts changing. People are moving from death to life, away from idolatry. And the folks who crafted idols for sale... They don't like it, right? It's like ancient pharmaceutical companies with empty hospitals. And, and this guy Demetrius, the silversmith, gathers kind of the iron workers union or something. These uh, silversmith guys and, and says, hey, I don't like what these religious folks are doing. They're advocating this man named Jesus and everyone's turning away from idols and no one's buying our stuff anymore. And the silver market is dropping and so they incite a riot, and a whole theater fills with people who are chanting, great is Diana of the Ephesians, great is Diana of Artemis, great is this goddess we worship, get this guy Paul out of the city. The disciples say, Paul, don't go into the theater. Paul goes anyway, and he says, hey, hold on, I'm preaching the gospel of life here. And the people just start chanting louder and louder for hours. And Acts tells us, Luke tells us in the book of Acts, that half the people there didn't even know what they were there for. They were just chanting with the crowd, get these guys out of here, get these guys out of here, we hate these guys. And they go in with the crowd and they expel the gospel of life from their city because it was changing their economy. It's the story of the world. We wish Jesus would come back and change this place, but if he did, we'd probably kick him out because he changed the place. We like this place. We like our sin. We like our hard-heartedness. We like to not have to talk to our neighbors, to not have to give to the poor. We like to be able to be so fired up about politics that it consumes us and makes us feel like we have a meaning in our life. And yet we die on the inside because he's trying to tap us on the shoulder and saying, there's more to this life than what you're passionate about. There's a world that's dying and I'm what's going to change it. Not your money. Not getting your kid into the right school this school year. Not the politician you want or don't want. Not the policy you want or don't want. Pursue me and let me change the world and let me change you first. We feel like we're so refined because we don't worship silver idols. We worship a lot of other things. And the great clashing of power happens 
when Jesus tries to speak into our hearts and address those things. If you've ever had that feeling, right, where Jesus starts to tap on your shoulder and say, hey, I want to talk to you about your spending. You're like, ah. Oh. And you can feel your heart like the Grinch, like, <laughs> Jesus comes alongside you. Sometimes it's through a friend or through your parents or your relatives. That's even worse, right? And Jesus comes alongside you and he says, hey, uh, you seem pretty fired up about this thing. Are you sure it's that important? And you're like, don't tell me it's not important. It's my thing, right? This is my mission in life. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm glad you have a mission. I have one for you too. <laughs> follow me, follow me. We see a community in Matthew 8 hunker down and harden their hearts and not allow Jesus to have access to them. And the danger exists for all of us all the time to do the same thing. Yeah, people in the culture, they hear about Jesus, they hear about morality, they hear about whatever, and their hearts hardened. Of course they do. They don't know Christ. We hear it in our hearts hardened too, and it's a bigger shame. If God is speaking to you, you have to let him. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. When you allow your heart to be hardened, when the Lord is trying to speak into an area of your life that needs to be redeemed and restored and changed and rebuked, it's dangerous. The New Testament calls it quenching the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is trying to get into your life and change something for good, but you don't want it to change. You like this piece of darkness in which you reside, and so you clamp down, you stop the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and then you wonder why God seems so distant. You exorcised him from yourself. You cast him out like a demon, and we all do it. One of the beautiful secrets of the Christian life is learning how to feel when our hearts are hardening. Because that's going to happen, no matter what. No matter how close you get to Christ, your heart is going to have places where God tries to address it and it shrinks back, right? It's like you've got a raccoon in the corner, you go, oh, I'm going to pick you up, and it shrinks back. That's what our hearts do when Jesus says, hey, I, I want to change your heart. It's like, no, right? And until your dying day, your natural inclination will probably be to shrink back. And so the trick is to say, what is happening? Well, I'm not supposed to shrink back and learn to trust him. We want to be people that when God comes and taps us on the shoulder, we say, I'm so glad you're here. Now, what do you want now? <laughs> and this city is a, a tragedy in the New Testament. You don't hear a lot about it ever again. It's a city where God wanted to infiltrate and change it, and it would not let him. We need to pray that our church would never become a city like that. A city on a hill can become a dead city as well. We need to be a city that when Jesus enters, we welcome him with open arms. That when he calls stuff out in our individual or corporate lives, we welcome it with open arms. When he calls us to change our attitude, our perspective, our opinion, on anything, we welcome it with open arms that when we read the scriptures and we feel like God is calling us to do something, we don't start rationalizing why we don't have to do it, but we say, oh no, maybe this is something great for me and I'm terrified. Let me do it, Lord. Give me the faith to lean towards him, not hiding and getting away from him. One of the most terrifying things in the scriptures is the way that Jesus just gets back in the boat and leaves these people. They say, get out of our city. He says, okay. And the book of Romans talks about that too. 
talks about people who don't want to glorify God, they don't want to honor God, they've turned their back on God, and God says, okay, okay, fine. Do what you want. It's going to destroy you. And we need to understand, even as believers, the gravity of that, that when we don't listen to the Lord and we think that his freedom is going to cause us to be in bondage, all we do is cause ourselves to be in bondage. Right? This city would rather go out every night and chain a man to a bunch of dead man's bones than lose some pigs. <laughs> That's like so many of us, so many of the times. Yeah, we know that our hobbies, we know that our habits, we know that our attitudes are destroying us and they're disgusting. But we'd rather go through it every night and confess every morning than allow Jesus to lead us out of that into a place that he claims will be healthy that terrifies us. We've got to listen to his voice. I believe that Matthew wrote this story this way to warn his audience that an unstoppable Jesus will allow himself to be stopped by the hardness of human hearts. And yet when you read the other gospel authors of this story, we see that there's a little bit at the end that's so beautiful. The city casts out Jesus. He gets in the boat with his disciples. And the demoniac, this guy who has been healed from his demons, comes down to Jesus and says, please let me go with you. Please take me away from this decrepit world. I don't want to go back into that city. They hate you. They hate me. They've hated me. Let me get into the boat and go on ministry tour with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no. Go back into your city and you can be the gospel presence there. Walk back into your town and be a testimony of what I have done. And he's either going to be a testimony of the fact that Jesus saves and they wanted nothing to do with it. Or he'll be a testimony that Jesus saves and they can be saved too. If you're going to start pleading with God to take you out of this decrepit community we live in or this decrepit society that we live in, God, please just put me in a place where there's Christians. Let me move to, I don't know, where there are Christians, Colorado Springs or something, right? Everybody wants to move to Australia for some reason all of a sudden, right? Australia, sure. God, please just take me out of this dark place. God will generally say, no. This place is dark. That's why I put you there. Because darkness needs light, and that's what I've put in you. Let's be sure that the light within us is not darkness. That when Christ tries to light a fire in us, we don't put it out because we're scared. Let's be men and women and kids who listen to the word of the Lord, and when he starts to poke at our hearts and it wants to shrink back in a corner, let us learn to take a breath. Lean back towards him and say, I'm sorry I still react like that. How do you want to lead me into life today? Trust him at his word. When God wants to change something in your life, he wants to change you for good and for his glory. He does not want to terrorize you. He does not want to make your life terrible for no reason, right? He is not just trying to make you sad or to bind you up. He's trying to free you from your chains. Let him let you out of the shackles that you're in. And stop fighting him in handcuffs. Let's pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would give us promptings like that and that we would respond in the way that he would have us to respond. Let's pray.